Today's scripture is John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said these things, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Redemption. Can you hear me okay? So I need y'all to join me this. I'm so happy to be back, by the way. So happy to be back. My name is Marcus, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption. Uh, I have listened to myself online, and I realized that I am a low talker. So bear with me. Crank me up, Keith. Keep me accountable. I will try. When you're here, you can hear me fine, I hope. But when you listen online, it appears that I am a little bit of a, uh, like I said, low talker. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord, help us focus. Help us to see you more clearly this morning. Heavenly Father, I am only a mouthpiece among so many that you've chosen to use. God, how humbled to do this impossible task. Lord, I pray that you will work through the hearts and minds through these words that you've given me this week in the study and the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, for where we are in history, where we are in this city, where we are in this time. Would you meet Everyone here this morning where they are. I pray this message comforts and challenges us in a special way. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Uh, Cooper, can you bring my phone right there so I can get a timer going so I don't do what I sometimes do? Appreciate it, Coop. Hand clap for Cooper. <laughs> Dave is at uh, North Mountain, Redemption North Mountain this morning preaching. Uh, so if you think of him, pray for him. Um, he is doing the Lord's work. I always start my sermons by telling you and, and, and looking you in the eye and telling you that James chapter 3 verse 1 says to me and every other preacher on the face of this planet that we will be judged more strictly by being teachers. What I'm doing here this morning, I will stand before the Lord someday, and he will ask me, how did you shepherd the people? Were you afraid? Were you courageous? Were you able to tell them the truth so that they will live? I live by that, and that keeps me going every day. 
I'm going to talk to you all about Jesus this morning, if you don't mind. If you need a Bible, the ushers are on the side. Grab one. If you forgot yours, make sure you get it, because we are in John chapter 20 this morning. If you need a Spanish version, they have those as well. If you're going to look on your device this morning to follow the Scriptures, let me challenge you right off the bat. I guess I'm going to get on your couch right off the bat. Let me challenge you, unless you are the President of the United States, a first responder on call, or your wife is due, go ahead and put it on airplane mode. You can still use your Bible because sometimes you get distracted. Am I on somebody's couch right now? I'm glad I am. I'm in your house. Amen? You can still have your Bible. You can still have access to your Bible if you're online. Um, and let's get locked in. John chapter 20. In the last segment, what Dave preached on last week, Mary had just gone to the tomb of Jesus, and the tomb was empty. His clothes were neatly folded, and there was no one there, no one in the grave, if you, if you were to say. Mary was distraught. She was disappointed. This week, I will talk about the next passage where between, 20 and, between 19 and 23, the disciples are in a room and they can be characterized as fearful. They were fearful, disappointed, distraught, fearful this week. Next week, I will touch on Thomas, who was doubtful. And the following week, I think Keith will talk about Peter, who is ashamed. We're dealing with shame, doubt, fear, and disappointment. Pick me up in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Let me set the scene. The disciples are in a room. Their leader, and the tension in that room is, is high right? Their leader, Jesus Christ, has been killed. He was killed on Friday. It is Sunday morning. The conversation in that room, you can imagine, is probably going something like this. Was Jesus just another guy claiming to be God? Because at that point in history, there had been so many. Was he another guy who couldn't ultimately conquer death? Was he another who could not defeat the Romans? Was he another one who could not persuade the religious leaders that he was the Christ? He was one in the line of many, or was he? He seemed so legit, someone might have said. He seemed so close. Well, what do we do now? I bet someone asked that question in that room. What do we do now? Where do we go from here? We are a faction of rebels that are being hunted right now because we identified with Jesus, and now he is gone. We are on a ship without a captain, a sinking ship, an army without a general, a band of misfits. Who will lead us now? I guarantee you that question came up. Who do we follow? Do we follow Peter? Well, he denied Jesus. Mary she just came in here and told us she saw him. We're not sure about that. Thomas, Thomas isn't even in the room at this point. 
Judas has killed himself. So the pool has shrunk. It's not that many of them. Should we disband? Should we all just return home and live our normal lives? You know for sure we will be tracked down and we will be killed for sure. There's a leadership void is what I'm trying to tell you. There's a power void. There's a purpose void. Jesus, in some case, it seems as though has overpromised and he has underdelivered. That's the tension in that room that Sunday morning. I searched far and wide, maybe not far and wide, I searched and was trying to find an, an illustration to bring to, to bear what it was like to be in that room that morning. And as the, at the risk of alienating about half of you in here, in one way or another, I'm going to talk, I'm going to share a sports analogy really quick. I, I hope everyone can follow. I don't like to share sports analogies, but here is, there is the one I have. Here is the one I have. On October 6, 1993, I was a ninth grader. I got on the school bus. Mr. Bacon, I was our bus driver. He usually was, you know, some kind of hip-hop station he would put on, and there was competing hip-hop stations. But this morning, on the hip-hop station, they weren't talking about hip-hop. October 6, 1993, Michael Jordan had won three championships in a row, and that morning he had retired at age 30. If you're too young, you might not understand it. Like I said, I'm going to alienate some of you guys right now. But he was, let's, let's say that, the greatest basketball player of all time. <laughs> I didn't alienate too many people, right? He retired. On my school bus, on my school bus to school that day, there was silence. In the city of Chicago that day, there was silence. I watched a newsreel from that day in Chicago, and it was as if somebody had died. Let me tell you this. At practice that morning, the rest of his teammates were just like the people in this room. Who's going to lead us? The big bag New York Knicks are out there. The big, bad Indiana Pacers are out there. Now your leader is gone. We're about to get you. That's, the, that's what I could find, kind of what I could find to illustrate what it was like. The disciples, the Bible says, they were behind locked doors. If you cursively read that, you might miss this. Doors, plural, means the gate to the compound was locked. The door to the house was locked. The door to the room they were in was locked. You follow me? They are hiding. And Jesus appears in that room, and he delivers three lines. And I'm going to sum up these three lines this morning in three words. Peace, power, and purpose. If you're old Baptist, you're saying Amen. Peace, power, and purpose. I'll walk through those three things this morning, and then I will take my seat. Peace. When Jesus says, peace be with you, the word for peace in, in, in Hebrew, you may know, or in Aramaic, is, 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 in Hebrew, is shalom. Peace be with you, shalom. That, that greeting is still used today. Peace is, the unique, is a unique gift that Jesus is giving to his followers. He is saying shalom is more than just worldly peace without war. It's more than 
a city without, without shootings or violence. It's more than that. Peace, shalom, is the peace that you have, is the inner peace in the midst of the biggest crisis in their life. He says, peace be with you. It's a peace to not just help you relax or to ignore the obvious, but to know and have actual peace. Jesus says this twice, our, our writer record, records. He, reminded them, he reminds them that you're okay, I am with you. I promised you this. I promised, he had promised them back in John 14 that let not your hearts be troubled. Later on, as, as history unfolded, a man named Paul wrote from prison, um, wrote from prison and says this about Jesus Christ. He says, Christy writes to Christians in a small church at Philippi, he says, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. The Message Bible, which um, sometimes I don't prefer, renders it this way, actually. He says, do not fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let the petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle on you. It's a wonderful thing when Jesus appears. When Jesus Christ displaces worry at the center of our lives. You see, we all worry. We all at some points will find ourselves, despite the resurrection, in that room. I worry. I worry about my kids, the internet, social media. What will happen to them in 10 years? What will high school be like? For them. What will the world look like? What will the world look like in 10 years? You think about people's jobs, the new laws, homes, mental health, Christians and Christianity, national division, war, the economy, all these things you can worry about. There are a million things you could worry about. See, in this room, the disciples are facing a significantly different future than they had imagined when Jesus was with them. Let me just take a take a take a off 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 break right now. Let me jazz preach on y'all for a second. Two years ago, this week, last week. Do you remember? All, all of our worlds changed, right? The future, what, what happened two years ago at this point was so different than anything we had ever seen or heard or knew. I remember as a pastor, I was saying, what am I going to do if I can't meet with people? I'm going to the grocery store, counting folks. They said one in, one in 40 people in Denver had, had, had COVID. I walked in the grocery store, one, two, at 38, and I'm out, right? <laughs> I'm gone gas station and said, don't touch, don't touch the, the handle, right? Because we didn't know. I'm sitting in my car thinking, 
the older members of my congregation, I remember this lady, 76 years old back then, she's 78 now. She actually called me last night. I remember her saying, I, I need a hug. Pastor, can you come see me? I didn't know what to do. I went to see her in the front yard, and she's sitting there thinking, what's going to happen? 800,000 people have died. It's not what we saw coming. Jesus says, despite that, some of you here have been white-knuckling it for the last two years. Jesus says, peace be with you. He had just conquered death. The very thing all of the people in that room were afraid of. The rest of verse 20, though, it is so, it's so beautiful. It says, they were glad when they saw the Lord. At that moment, I believe the disciples went from merely being affiliated with Jesus, identifying with him, to believe in Jesus and, having, and just having a clear belief. This was, this was like a knockout blow to their doubts. In that room that day, there were some lowly people some disappointed people, some confused people, some fearful people, some doubting people. Their faith was in tatters. Can you imagine the anxiety in that room? Some were on the fence, I would say, which is an American expression, by the way, I don't quite understand because no one sits on a fence. <laughs> Y'all with me, right? <laughs> the disciples were having a come to Jesus meeting and Jesus came to the meeting. It's one thing to live in fear, folks, but it's one thing when you're living in fear of your life and then that problem gets solved. When was the last time you were glad despite your circumstances? When was the last time you were glad? What are you waiting for to be glad? I regularly attend, in this city, I attend um, a, a kind of Bible study or a group gathering, uh, or, or what do you call it, like a gathering of Christians down at Teen Challenge, uh, a center for uh, men who are uh, working their way through addiction, Thursday and Friday. I went there this week, and the realness with them is, is so real. When we're sitting in that, when we're sitting in that room, men who have lost everything because of some form of addiction or another, family, job, friends, home, you name it. One of them said to the group this week, he said, when you're at the bottom is when you learn, when you clearly see his words, quote, you ain't all that without Jesus. The disciples have realized they ain't all that without Jesus. They had been affiliated with his power. They're walking alongside him. Can you imagine being with Jesus, just walking through, healing people? You're just walking, you're just carrying the coattails. Just, yeah, we're, we're in this. You know what I'm saying? We're just walking. And all of a sudden, he's not there. When he's crucified, they have nothing. When he steps into that room that night, they are glad. I don't think glad is, is the word that really uh, that identifies their feeling. He brings peace. He brings shalom to their circumstances. No matter what else is happening on the outside, he's saying, you're going to be okay. No matter what's happening in your life, what has happened in the last two years, what has happened for the first 30 years of your life, 
you are going to be okay. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us peace that is beyond understanding. See, their circumstances had not changed. People were still looking for him to kill. Their circumstances had not changed. There was still a threat on their lives, but the presence of the Savior gave them gladness. Jesus gives us peace, by the way, despite our circumstances. When you accept the resurrection as true and as Jesus is alive, you live differently. Your inner peace is not connected to your intellect or the information you have. It is connected to an encounter with Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. Have you, ex- have you examined the evidence of Jesus' resurrection? Have you ever sat down and said, do I actually really believe this from the bottom of my heart? If you examine it, you will be glad. We used to sing, we used to sing a song when I was living in the Civil War and death was around every corner. When I say every corner, I mean every corner. We used to sing a song, Hallelujah Anyhow. I will never let my troubles get me down. Whenever troubles come my way, I will hold my head up high saying, Hallelujah Anyhow. Now, let me put up, <laughs> let me put up a verbal guardrail and get something out the way. When you say hallelujah anyhow, you are not forgetting your situation. The consequences of your earthly actions is not a hallelujah anyhow situation, right? You are not psychologically forgetting things that that you have to face. You are not living in denial, but you're living for the living God. The resurrection of Jesus gives us power. Verse 21 and 22 says, Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Breath gives human beings life. Jesus here in this passage with these utterance, this second phrase that gives them power, Jesus has given them the power to live over and above their fear. He is introducing them, actually, to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. By breathing on them, he is giving them power to live. He is saying through his breath that I am God. I give life. Don't miss this connection. Don't miss this. In the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, when God is creating Adam. You know what he does? He breathes on them, giving them power and authority over all living things when the beginning, that's the beginning of human life, when God breathes into Adam. I hope hope you're with me, right? And it says that man became a living soul. What Jesus is saying is that I am God, I am giving you life, and life more abundantly Somebody got it. He's he's telling you, I am God, and he's demonstrating that I am God. Peace be with you. I have conquered death. Now I'm going to breathe life into you. Who would you rather breathe life into you? The person who has conquered death or the person who is standing beside you as a human? 
Here are my scars, he says. You see them? It's me. I am alive. I am here. And what I'm going to give you, no one can take from you. Talk about being undefeated. You walk out of that room, you, not, nobody can touch you. One commentator says this. He says, Jesus is dramatizing his promise. He's dramatizing the flow of power as the Father God has shown him to do. See, God had empowered him and sent him. Now he's empowering us and sending us through the Holy Spirit. It's a dramatic interplay between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in that room. The power to live as a redeemed human being. See, when Jesus breathes on you, he lifts you from the depths you are, and actually it doesn't just lift you back to where you were, he lifts you to, high, to a higher place than you've ever been. Despite their fears, their disappointment, their doubt, he says, I still want you to go out in the world and tell people about me and what you've seen here. You've seen the evidence of my resurrection, now you are empowered to go tell it. The resurrection gives us power. We all have this power. We all have this power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in all of us. The issue is we don't always remember, act on it, think about it, or live like it. My mentor is a man named Brian Loritz, and he shared this story a few months ago. There was a woman named Kathy Boone. This woman lived in Oregon. She had lived the past a lot of years in abject poverty. She was homeless, living on the streets in Oregon. Her family tried to find her, looked for her over the internet, tried a social media thing, tried an email thing, trying to get a hold of her for months. They were trying to get a hold of her because her mother had died. There's a sad story. Kathy died in January of 2020. Her mother died before that. Her parents, her, her family is trying to find her because her mother left her, had left her 884,000 United States dollars, and she had been living in poverty. How could that be? How could someone live in poverty knowing they have this, they have riches? On the streets, she died in a warming shelter in Astoria, Oregon. It's a sad story. Before you shake your head and get all, oh, man, I wouldn't have been there. I wouldn't have been me. That's how we live. You have the Holy Spirit, the same power, the same riches that Jesus Christ, that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is in you. Sometimes we live in abject spiritual I didn't hear any men, but I'm going to keep going. <laughs> the resurrection, lastly, gives us purpose. Gives us purpose. Verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. See, what's, what, good is, what good is power and authority if you don't have a purpose? You have power, you have authority, you don't know what to do with it. You don't have a purpose. What good is that? 
The purpose the purpose the disciples sorry the disciples have the commission that they've been given they were given the power it's, it's a significant power it's a significant purpose one commentator says this that Jesus speaking is speaking here about the apostolic authority of the disciples they were going the, the, the authority they were going to take on this is the part of this this is the part of the sermon this week when I was studying I thought some name right here I need, I need to go deeper in this because this verse, verse 23, actually not, it seem, it seemingly contradicts something that I have believed all my life, which is Matthew 6, 14 and 15 that says, if you don't forgive other people, the Heavenly Father won't forgive you, right? Now Jesus is saying, if you forgive the sins of, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven, but if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What is going on here? This verse was troublesome to me because it seems to indicate that the disciples have the power to withhold forgiveness. Here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is giving power to, to the disciples to withhold forgiveness, yes. He is removing the authority to forgive sins from being primarily reserved to the religious leaders to them. He's saying that you don't need to go to the priests to have your sins forgiven you can forgive other people's sins. You're not the holder of the key of forgiveness, right? This verse is actually in the passive for, uh, voice in the, in the Greek language. He's saying the power that is through you, that's the reason why we can pray for people and say your sins are forgiven. He is empowering them to discern people who believe in Jesus and are forgiven and those who do not and are not. You see it. He did this in part because the disciples were new Christians and had been excluded from the religious community. So where were they going to go? Like I said, this is one of the reasons why when you pray for people, their sins can be forgiven, not by you, but by God. You follow. Not because you hold the keys to other people's forgiveness, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit that is in you, you can be empowered to pray and offer forgiveness with the authority of God. In more plain words, here's what I'm trying to say. Our purpose, our mission is to tell people about Jesus so they can be forgiven. So they can be set free. The resurrection gives us that purpose. Jesus here is also saying, I'm giving you the power that only God can give you. Don't miss that. Jesus is saying, when he, when he says, if you, if you forgive people, they will be forgiven. He's saying, I'm giving you the power to forgive sins that only God can actually have the authority to give you that. Because me and the Father are one. Do you see it yet? Do you see it? He's communicating two things in a different way. He's communicating kind of the same thought. Like He's saying, I am God, and here's how I'm proving it. I am God, and here's what I'm telling you to do. I am God, and this is what you can do. Because I've given you the authority. Who's going to dial him in that room? Who's going to argue? Would you argue? The guy just came back from the dead. <laughs> Whatever he says goes. When I was a kid, a young believer, there's so many, so many things you, you, you tend to believe. Maybe some of you guys believe this. Maybe you don't. But I thought Jesus was just another character in the Bible. Like Moses, Solomon, these people, David, and he's just one of those other characters. He's just one of those other people. 
If you believe that, he is not another character in the Bible. I don't care how long you've believed it. Stop believing it. Did I say that clearly enough? My email box is Dave Goffney at Redemption AZ. <laughs> she got emails. Dave, I'm playing. This Christian faith, ladies and gentlemen, centers on Jesus. It centers on his resurrection from the dead. Paul says, without the resurrection, our faith is completely meaningless. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead and appear to people and people saw him and they wrote about it and they ate with him and they saw the wounds and they saw everything that he did, none of this would be happening. If Jesus does not rise from the dead and people don't see him, all we're doing this morning is completely meaningless. We are wasting our time. God descended upon this earth in bodily form. He resurrected. He is the real deal. And the biggest decision you will ever make in this life is to believe that or not believe it. I hope I'm on your couch this morning. I want to be really clear, okay? The greatest decision you will ever make is making a decision either to believe in Jesus Christ or you do not. There's no in-between. We make up the in-betweens. Oh, he was a great teacher. Oh, he healed a bunch of people. Oh, I believe in him, sort of. You either believe in him or you don't. You can put your faith and trust in that and I will put my foot down and say, if you do that, your life will be changed. That was a word for somebody. I don't know if you're here, if you got it. That was a word for somebody. See, when, I, when, 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 when preachers proclaim this, or when they would proclaim this when I was a kid, I would think, yeah, I believe, but I'm not sure if I'm worthy. Those disciples in that room are thinking, man, we saw Peter deny you. Are you still going to take him? Uh, you know, Thomas is not here, and he's asking questions, right? Judas, what, what's up with him? Some of us in here are kind of feeling like, I'm not worthy because you just rose from the dead, bro. Like, I don't have that power. I'm doubting. What am I going to do? Am I going to get killed? Failure in faith or having a weak faith does not disqualify you from being in the Christian family. All those people sitting in that room that day were struggling with something. Everybody in here, uh-oh, on your couch, is struggling with something. And you're feeling like, man, I am not worthy to follow Christ. Those people in that room, they all went on to lead churches. They all went on to, to, be, to, be killed by, to be killed for Jesus. They all went on to write to do great things despite their shortcomings. Peter is, can you imagine how Peter felt? Just struggling, man, I denied this dude, and then he showed up again. <laughs> Lord, 
Oh, man. Oh, man. When I was a kid, I would break something. <laughs> when you break something in the house <laughs> and your dad, your mom said, wait for your dad, you're sitting there. Boy, that's the longest wait. I can imagine Peter saying, oh, man, I done, done some stuff. I got to wait for Jesus. They're sitting there in hiding, cowardice. Maybe they're afraid. If you are sinned this morning and fallen short of the glory of God, you are in great company. Jesus deals with our disappointments. He deals with our fears. He deals with our doubts. He deals with our sins. He deals with the parts that no one knows but you in your life. He deals with it. He deals with it. He deals with it. The resurrection clearly communicates that Jesus is God in the flesh. There is no in-between. You either accept or follow or reject and live for yourself. Those are the options, folks. Where are you going to go? What road are you going to follow? See, the book of John, the book that we're in right now, as you read along, everything just points to Jesus. Jesus, this Jesus is the real deal. I'm trying to tell you he's the real deal. And here's how I can tell you he's the real deal. He is the Messiah. He's the one that we've been waiting for. He's the one that everyone has been waiting for. He's the one that will solve the sins of the world now and forever. He's the only one that can give us shalom despite our circumstances. He is the only one. The only one. I remember when I was in the Civil War and we were in hiding and people were looking for us to kill. I, I didn't have that much peace. We would pray every single day at noon, and, and trust me, that prayer meeting used to be packed because death was at the door. But some, somewhere inside of me, I didn't have the complete peace that if I were to get captured and I would get killed, that Jesus would still be there for me because I didn't know. I want to make sure there is no doubt this morning that you know that despite your failure, despite your disappointment, your habits, whatever you got going on, that Jesus brings you peace. He brings you power. He brings you a purpose in this life. And what a glorious mission it is to walk with Jesus. What a glorious thing to walk with Jesus. Bow your heads with me. Thank you, Lord. Your grace is sufficient for us. Your love cannot be measured. It's greater than anyone else loves us on this earth. Lord, would you touch each person in their seat that they're in this morning and reassure them that you have risen and they can have your peace. May that peace be something they cannot understand. We thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. May we boast in your power and not in our own strength. In Jesus' name.